0: Welcome to Ivy League Murders, where we deep dive on cases related to academia. My name is Sarah Alcorn. I'm a Harvard graduate and a private investigator.
1: My name is Laura Rodriguez McDonald. I'm a University of Miami grad, longtime crime aficionado, and part of a fourth generation NYPD family.
0: Laura and I don't always agree on everything. With her NYPD roots and my criminal defense background, sometimes we find ourselves on opposite sides of the jury. We do share a mutual passion for crime solving, and we both grew up in Cambridge, steps away from Harvard University. In Ivy League Murders, we discuss cases where the best of the best make the worst decisions. We look at people who seemingly have it all and throw it all away. This week on Ivy League Murders, we are covering the Woodward case. In 1955, Life magazine called it the shooting of the century, and it grabbed headlines around the world. So join us for episode 5 The Woodwards, the Gilded Age's ideally suited couple. Ivy League Murders is a true crime podcast. We cover subjects such as murder and disturbing scenarios. Listener caution is advised. Billy ducked, the heavy glass shattered near his face, whiskey dousing him. Anne, red-faced, demanded to know if he was on the phone with his mistress. She was drunk again. Anne's jealousy had caused yet another drug and alcohol-fueled scene. The Duke and Duchess of Windsor were in the next room. Jesus, he was going to have to get Anne into the Packard and get her home. The party had been given at the Baker Mansion. George Baker was the third wealthiest man in America at the time. Recent rumors of a prowler in the Oyster Bay area were the talk of the dinner party and tensions were running high. Billy made their excuses and he managed to get Anne into the car. As the Woodwards drove in silence, Anne wrapped herself tighter in her mink. They were about as far away from each other as a couple can be in a car. I want a divorce, Billy said evenly. Never, Anne said, staring straight ahead. Anne and Billy retired to their separate bedrooms, both with guns at their sides, in case of the prowler. Sometime during the night, two shots went off. Billy Woodward lay dead. A bullet had taken out part of his brain. Anne had shot him. Was it an accident, as she claimed, or was it intentional? This is a case which really puts a microscope, I think, on... Uh, New York elite society at that time uh, it was a lot of money a lot of connections a lot of big families are involved in this case and this case was kind of the scandal this re- this case really was like the OJ Simpson case of the of the time
1: it really was they, they at the time they called it the shooting of the century right because it was it was such a, a scandal And I think people today don't realize how small that group of society was. And, you know, Mrs. Astor was really the grand dame of New York society, I mean, for decades. And she kind of ruled over this group. And, you know, it was said that there was only a select 400 who were the top of society. Mrs. Astor's 400.
0: And, and we're talking about the 1% of the 1%. Right. We're not only talking tons of money.
1: Millions. I mean, right.
0: Yeah. Uh, tons of money. Incredible connections. Ivy League, obviously. Very exclusive clubs in New York. And, and quite a lifestyle. A real jet-set international right. lifestyle. So in introducing the Woodwards, the Woodwards were part of this set. And the you know, William William Woodward Senior was a big banker in New York, basically owned the Hanover Bank or ran the Hanover mm. Bank.
1: He was a horse breeder.
0: And so what was the scandal though? The scandal was their darling son, their only son, fell in love with a showgirl. That was kind of like the New York gossip at the time. Yes. Because people like Billy Woodward did
1: not marry people like Anne. Uh, No, people like Billy Woodward married what his mother would call their own kind. They stayed within their own circle. And it was very scandalous when Billy fell in love, as we'll explore, um, as we're going forward, fell in love with somebody so outside his circle and the tragedy that ensued. William Woodward, or Billy as he was called, was the fifth child and only boy born to William Woodward, heir to the Hanover Bank, and Elsie Crider Woodward, one of the Crider triplets, who were famous debutantes in their day. They were one of the big families in New York. They also bred thoroughbreds who raced at events like the Kentucky Derby. The Woodwards left the child rearing to the hired help, and like many of their time and class, preferred children seen and not heard. Billy was raised by nannies and chauffeurs and longed for some warmth. Billy was sent to boarding schools at 13, but he was never a great scholar. Next was an obligatory acceptance at Harvard where his legacy and family connections caught him in. However, he lacked ambition and frequently skipped class at Harvard to drink with friends. His future was mapped out for him, banking and New York high society. Evangeline Lucille Crowell, Angie as she was known in those days, was from Pittsburgh. No, not the Pittsburgh you're thinking of, Pittsburgh, Kansas. She moved to New York City seeking fame and fortune and changed her name to Anne Eden. She worked as a radio actress and a chorus girl at the El Morocco Club. After getting braces and a nose job, she wound up a chorus girl at the Monte Carlo. The Monte Carlo was one of several hot clubs at the time that catered to the men of cafe society. It also boasted the most beautiful dancers. Anne, with her corn-fed Midwestern good looks and her fantastic figure, attracted the attention of William Woodward Sr., a prominent banker. Anne, always the opportunist, hopped at the chance. It was rumored that they had a brief dalliance. Woodward introduced his gun-shy son, Billy Jr., to Anne. It's speculative, but William Sr. may have thought Billy was effeminate and thought a woman like Anne, being a sex pot, would give Billy some experience.
0: Billy was smitten. Anne was nothing like the debutantes and country club girls he had grown up around. Anne was different. Her blatant sexuality enthralled him, and she seduced him. With his relative lack of experience with women, Billy probably conflated lust for love. He was starved for affection. His father's interactions with him were to, quote, toughen him up by a shaming campaign. He received nothing but criticism. One time when he was sick as a child, he approached his mother seeking comfort. Her response, be a dear and come back when you feel better. For all their wealth, Billy grew up in emotional poverty. He mistook Anne's sexuality for the warmth he so craved. He would discover that nothing could be further from the truth. In the beginning, he felt he couldn't live without Anne. He was determined to marry her and his society mother was horrified. Like Mary Astor, Elsie Woodward was one of the grand dames of New York. She lay back on her chaise lounge. Her darling Billy couldn't be marrying this awful woman with her cheap fur and tawdry perfume. Ugh, a showgirl. Or worse from what the private investigator had found out. Her Billy, her only son, Groton, Harvard, his career at Hanover Bank, heir to one of the largest fortunes in old money New York, and was pretty, Elsie would give her that. Oh, God, what if she was already in the family way? Was that the rush to get married? Elsie would pay her off. She'd talk Billy out of it. What did this trollop know about their way of life? Imagine her at the
1: Knickerbocker Club? No, this marriage would be a tragedy if it went forward. It wasn't only Elsie Woodward who disapproved. New York society at the time was codified. People like Billy simply didn't marry people like Anne. The gossip throughout the exclusive clubs in New York, such as the Store Club, The 21, and the Colony Restaurant,
0: was, she's not the kind of girl a person like Billy Woodward marries. She's the kind of girl you set up in an apartment on the West Side for however long it lasts. And when it's over, as it certainly will be, you give her $10,000 and buy her something swell and marry someone we've all heard of. This is a quote from Dominic Dunn's wonderful book, The Two Mrs. Grenvilles, a thinly veiled fictional account of the
1: Woodwards. But Billy and Anne did get married in a hasty ceremony attended only by Billy's father. Anne, in one of her many fatal missteps in her marriage, confessed to Billy that she and his father had briefly dated, although she insisted it was platonic. Billy was furious, and it set the tenor of Anne constantly seeking Billy's approval and not getting it. Anne, well aware of the lack of
0: acceptance of her humble background, claimed she was an orphan, even though her father was still alive. While Billy went away to fight in World War II in 1943, Anne fought her own battle in New York. She transformed herself, partly thanks to Billy's money. She studied society swans and duplicated their dress and mannerisms. By the time Billy got back, he was met by the new Anne, poised in pearls and a Balenciaga dress. Laura had to tell me how to pronounce Balenciaga, by the way, and now I can. She was unrecognizable. Billy, aghast, said, if that's what I wanted, I would have married the real thing. Anne was crushed, but no less determined to climb the social ladder. I I really look at Billy and Anne's marriage as kind of like a Greek tragedy, though, in many ways. It's like he was attracted to her. Because she was different, because she was super sexual, because she was, you know, that's what drew him to her. And, but you can see Anne's position too. She comes from super humble farmer beginnings. She's thrown into like this New York society, which, and nobody's accepted in that. So she does her best to fit in with that society. And so, so it's kind of their marriage was kind of a tragedy anyway. But I think she was very greedy and very, um, very much a social climber, and I think it really turned Billy off. He wasn't a super social guy, and they were out socializing at
1: all these New York clubs every night. And well, I think he married her because she was different, and then she became all the things that he had gone to her to escape. Right. So he had gone to her to escape this, you know, insulated society life with all these expectations. She represented kind of a freedom from that. And then she, in turn, became just like his sisters and mother. And, And I think it's a theme that we run into a lot in our
0: podcast. I mean, look at them from the outside. She, to Elsie Woodward's horror... They were constantly being followed by. They were a beautiful couple. He was very handsome. She was an absolute knockout. And so, you know, the press would follow them. They were kind of like the Brad and Angelina, you know, of their time. They basically. Were. Or the, you know, the Beyonce and Jay-Z, you know, of their time. You know, it's like the, the press just loved this beautiful couple and Elsie Woodward was horrified by this because her whole philosophy was like a real lady only appears in the press three times, right? And those three
1: times are what, Laura? <laughs> when you're born, when you're married, and when you die. That's right. That's, That's it. Right. You should never be in the paper besides those three times. Right. And
0: they, this, this was not a society that we, it's a, it was not a celebrity society that we have now. People did not. These families wanted to stay below the radar. They wanted to have their, their their quiet privilege and luxury. They did not want to show it off. you know this Well was, to each other they did,
1: but not to the outside world. That's right. right? They, they had yeah. homes in Newport and One Island and New York City and they traveled it, throughout those places and socialized only amongst themselves.
0: And they were very, very insular basically. They were. And so Anne's kind of, um, Anne's social climbing, Anne Anne practically made a PhD out of becoming kind of a society woman. And, you know, she was voted sort of the the best dressed woman in in New York. And uh, so she she took their model and she absolutely ran with it. But the problem was that Billy, who I look at as sort of like restless and lost himself, because Billy had always had everything handed to him. And so he was just not a very satisfied or happy person within himself anyway. So what all I'm saying is that they they looked perfect on the outside. My God, they had these mansions there, you know, to you know, they had two sons along the way, which was you know, Anne was thrilled about because now she had these Woodward heirs. An heir and a spare. An heir and a spare. That's right. And, um, you know, and she had something that would forever cement her to the Woodward legacy. But their marriage was she was constantly seeking Billy's approval and Billy not being fairly restless himself he had had everything handed to him so I think when you when you have that you haven't worked for anything you know you ha- you don't have a sense of achievement yourself you know and so yeah, it just was not a happy dynamic at all and I think Anne was incredibly insecure but also kind of narcissistic as well and uh, that their dynamic was was really toxic and it, it started to really fray at the at the edges, you know. One thing though I have to say is that the Woodwards wore a you know, they bred thoroughbreds, they were in the the high end racing competitive horse racing. They'd enter they enter their horses. horses yeah. They bred horses. They would enter them into the Kentucky Derby. And Anne did push Billy to go back into that world, even though he had never been a real horseman. And they 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 had this star horse named Nashua, and Nashua kept on winning, winning the Kentucky Derby. I'm not exactly sure, but but you know, amassed a great you know about seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars in one year, which back then was quite a fortune. Basically, not that they needed the money, but it was of course, the press would follow them and follow the winnings of Nashua. And so that was something that actually, I think Billy got pretty enthusiastic about. He was quite...
1: I think he was just starting to kind of find his way uh, when his life was cut short. I right. think that he was just finding something that in- that he could make a difference in. And that was with the horses. Right. Because he had never really had any interest In academics, he wasn't super interested in the bank, but the horses and breeding the horses was something that he started to get passionate about. And I think that that may have been more explored if his life hadn't ended abruptly. I I think Billy was kind of a lost soul.
0: I think he was probably an alcoholic. You know, I think he was a, you know, he had a wandering eye. They both had affairs, pretty high-profile affairs. And... The much, again, much to Elsie Woodward's horror, because you simply just didn't do this in, in this society. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, there they're, they're, he had a couple of mistresses and their marriage really started to fray. Even though, again, everything looked perfect from the outside, but everything, their marriage really was fraying at the end. So Anne also had affairs. Actually, she had a, an affair with Ali Khan, who was married
1: to Rita Hayworth.
0: But I think her affairs were kind of payback for him or to...
1: When she would tell him about the affairs... Right. ...to make him jealous, it was very toxic, the whole thing.
0: He was still very attracted to her. I think she would still sort of draw him back with sex, basically.
1: She would, but I mean, after the birth of their second child, Billy's pretty clear that he wants out of the marriage. But she won't let him out. And he asks her for a divorce... And he offers her $2 million, which is about $20 million today, and she says no. I think it was—the money was important to Anne. I mean, she wanted more, I think, but also she
0: knew that if he divorced her, it really would be the end of her association with high-end society, that this was her life now. She basically addicted to this lifestyle.
1: Oh, it definitely was. And that's where she got all of her esteem, was from the praise of others. So she couldn't imagine a life without, without being Mrs. Woodward.
0: Now, I mean, my question, I guess, is did she love him? Did she ever love him? Did he ever really love her? Was there a time when they had any warmth, that, the warmth that I think he craved?
1: I think that, as mentioned previously, I think that the sex got confused with warmth for him lust confused with love
0: yes and you know i think she was an incredibly difficult narcissistic person who i i I look at it you know that the tale of like the fisherman's wife right it's like She's in a hovel, then she gets a slightly bigger house. She's not happy with that. So she says to her husband, like, go and and ask the fish for more. And, you know, all of a sudden she's in a castle and it's not enough kind of thing. I think that was part of Anne Woodward's problem was um, that she was addicted to the lifestyle and the perception of having everything the best, basically. And she knew that the loss of Billy... She would probably just become a nobody. She'd become a woman scorned, basically.
1: And I think that was probably her biggest fear was to be ignored. Right. And that is, was her biggest and was, you know, she was more afraid of that than anything. She wanted to maintain this life and lifestyle by any means necessary. Anne's alcohol and prescription drug use escalated as the marriage deteriorated. This only made matters worse. Was Anne's behavior becoming more and more erratic? She started to lose control and began making scenes publicly, embarrassing herself and Billy. One time, slapping a woman who she thought was flirting with him at a dinner party, and on another occasion, throwing a full highball glass at Billy. Emily Post
0: summed it up perfectly. When she wrote, jealousy is the suspicion of one's own inferiority. I think this sums up Anne perfectly. One of the scandals that really infuriated Elsie uh, Woodward was Anne Woodward, Anne and Billy ran into Salvador Dolly at some point along, you know, probably in, on their, jet once, like, like in their jet set lifestyle. And... People are familiar with Salvador Dali. If you, you think of like the dripping, you know, he was a surrealist painter. Um, think of the, the, the dripping um, clocks, you know, yeah, the, that's the, the melting clocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was a total character. He was, um, he was Spanish. He, I think he, they probably met him in catechist Spain. I bet you. Cause uh, Salvador Dali had a house there and catechist was like the big society place to go to. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in Spain. Um I don't I can't say that for sure but I'm just speculating maybe. Um but um so 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 Anne I think kind of was enamored with the idea of like oh this famous artist and um you know paint paint my portrait. But who the hell you know, ask, as you said, who the hell asked Salvador Dali to paint your portrait? It's going to be weird, right? Yeah, I mean, it's going to He's a surrealist painter,
1: right? He's not a portrait painter. Right. It was an odd choice. Um, and it took him a year to complete the painting. Right. And a commission that they paid him. To, to to they paid him for the painting and
0: no they didn't pay him for the
1: painting oh you're right um
0: no he, they commissioned then... him to do it he presented and we'll, we'll post the picture of of the portrait of Anne Woodward um by Salvador Dali um it, she um it's quite a quite an interesting portrait i think it is you can see she's sort of in this very stark landscape um in a in a in a in a um uh in an evening gown. Um and she looks very pretty, but there's a very like malevolent look on her face, I think, if you look closely at the face in the portrait. Anyway, Anne was horrified. She did not like this portrait. Um and she uh insisted that Billy not pay not Salvador. Pay for and he checked out the court and Salvador Dali sued them. And Billy wanted nothing to do with the scandal. He wanted to pay off Dolly, be done with it, and Ann insisted, like, no, I'm not paying him for this. And This was in 1954. Uh, so, uh, again, Elsie Woodward, it was yet another thing that Elsie Woodward was just horrified about. Yeah, they basically. were in the
1: paper. It was in the news that they were going to court with Dolly. And they, you know, they lost in court and they wound up having to pay.
0: I just, Dolly. I just picture Dolly, you know, Dolly's like crazy mustache. Yeah. Like he used to wax his mustache. So it was like this curly cues on both mm-hmm. ends. I just picture him in like in court with Anne Woodward. It must've just been like such a
1: scene, you know, and of course the press ate it up, you know? And, uh, and I think Dolly saw something in her that, that, you know, scared her because in the painting she's alone and then way way off in the distance you see like a little person right kind of far away and it kind of shows her isolation her isolation but also like I kind of think like her and then the little people in the the background yeah Dolly definitely saw something in Anne that she was not comfortable with right I mean I find it to be a very beautiful portrait um you know it look closely act- look closely at the face though. The face is no, there's nothing kind about right. the face. We'll, it's beautiful. We'll, yeah, we'll post it and people yeah. can can judge for themselves. But it's it's pretty interesting that we have this painting to look at today as kind of a relic. The scandal with Dolly was one of the last straws for Billy. What proved to be the final straw occurred when Billy flew to Kansas to pick up a small aircraft he had purchased. The aircraft happened to have been made in Pittsburgh. No, not that Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Kansas, where Anne, or Angie, had grown up. Digging around, Billy discovered that her father was very much alive and was driving a trolley. In a rage, Billy went back to Anne and demanded a divorce, based on her deception about her background. As slightly Billy threatened to expose Anne's true background, this would have been intolerable to the ever socially conscious Anne. To add to the tension, a
0: prowler had been breaking into houses in Oyster Bay, where the Woodwards lived. Oyster Bay is an upscale hamlet of Long Island. The Woodwards were neighbors of the Roosevelt's summer White House called Sagamore Hill. There was evidence of someone breaking in and looting liquor, food, and bullets. There was a prowler in the area who most likely had a gun. The pool cabana at the Woodwards had been broken into. On October 30th, Anne and Billy drove to the baker's house to attend a dinner party with the Duke and Duchess of Windsor. Much of the dinner chatter was about the prowler. Anne, who had proudly posed with a picture of a 10-foot Bengal tiger she had shot, was no stranger to guns. In fact, Billy had given her a gun inscribed with his name. It's not a stretch to think that some of the dinner chatter was about home protection and what to do about the prowler. At this point, Anne barely ate anything and subsisted on a diet of pills and alcohol. Her jealousy became inflamed at the party. People speculated that Billy received a call from his mistress. Anne caused a scene. And ashamed, Billy trundled Anne into his packard. "I want a divorce," you can picture him saying on the tense ride home.
1: Anne and Billy arrived home and retired to their own respective bedrooms. With their tempers barely on simmer and the specter of a prowler on their minds, both Woodwards went to bed with loaded guns. The kids were tucked away on the third floor with their nanny. An hour or two later, shots rang out. Anne had shot Billy and claimed she thought he was a prowler. Anne didn't call the police right away. Instead, she called Saul Rosenblatt. Saul was the attorney for the privileged and basically a fixer for the famous and wealthy. Better call Saul. He told Anne to gather up her jewelry and take it to the hospital. A strange priority for a grieving widow.
0: When the police arrived, they found Billy Woodward naked and supine with half his head blown off. He was lying in the small hallway that separated the Woodward's bedrooms. The police tried to question Anne, but she was too hysterical. They were taken aback to learn that a nurse had been called in to sedate Anne. Anne was transported to the exclusive doctor's hospital in Manhattan. She wouldn't talk to the police for days. When the phone rang way too early for any civilized person to call, Elsie was filled with dread. Her darling Billy, her only son, was dead. When Elsie found out that Anne was the one who shot Billy, one would think, given Elsie's hatred for Anne, that she would want her thrown to the dogs. Instead, Elsie called newspaper owners and politicians from Oyster Bay to New York. Her first thought was how to keep the Woodward family name in the clear. In her own way, Elsie was trying to save the Woodward boys from the shame of having a mother marked as a murderess. So, given Elsie's feelings about Anne, she did not like Anne, but she... Circles the wagons majorly. She calls people from the newspaper. She calls people in power. She, she calls anybody that she can to to shut down this
1: story. She That's calls the going. guests from the party to right. make sure that everybody's story's in line. So that nobody says anything negative about them. And I think Anne was probably as surprised as anybody that Elsie does this,
0: because I'm sure she thought she was going to just get thrown under the bus, basically. So Anne is directly after the murder. Anne is in the hospital, and she doesn't talk to the police for several days. Meanwhile, Elsie's running around and kind of shutting the story down and massaging the story and the investigation to meet a
1: certain narrative. But once the police do talk to Anne, what does Anne tell them? Well, Anne tells them what she, you now she did initially give a statement at the house that night, kind of through her hysterics. and you know, She didn't say much, but what she did say was that she heard a noise, she opened the door, she saw a dark figure, and she shot twice. So this is exactly what she says a few days later. She heard a noise, she opened the door, she saw a dark figure, and she shot. So the police, a couple of days later, they do find the prowler. Right? Can you tell us about the Prowler, Laura? I know, right? Coincidentally enough, they do find the Prowler who has been breaking into homes in Oyster Bay. And his name is Paul Worth. And he is a German immigrant and a transient who's been kind of breaking in and living in the pool houses of these wealthy homes. And he's brought in for questioning. And, you know, he adamantly denies being at the Woodworths home that night. And he's questioned and questioned and questioned. And eventually his story changes. And, you know, and there's a lot of speculation as to why his story changes. Perhaps money exchanged hands because he really had no... He he wasn't being questioned for the murder. And if he admitted to breaking into the Woodworth's home that night and backed up Anne's story, that kind of got Anne off the hook. Well, do
0: we think that maybe... Belsey Woodward got to Paul
1: Worth and and paid him off. I do, I do think that because I by the time
0: the grand jury comes around, Paul Worth has changed his story that he was at the Woodwards that, that right. night, and that lends credence
1: to Anne Woodward's story that there was a, a prowler right there. That right, and not to jump ahead, but exactly. I mean, he you know, his story goes from not being there at all to he eventually says that he's in the process of breaking into the home. He hears a gunshot and he retreats. And this backs Ann's story up because she, you know, basically hears him breaking into the house. That's the noise she hears. She shoots Billy. That's the gunshot. And then Paul Worth retreats. He has no liability in the crime. So he, you know... He fades away to nothing. We don't ever hear anything about Paul Worth again. But he's a nice
0: little red herring for Elsie Woodward's narrative.
1: Exactly. But Elsie
0: Woodward's influence was such that she actually got to all the guests at the party, hence the title of this episode, which is The Ideally Suited Couple. Just people, that was the narrative that people gave. They didn't tell about the fight at the party. Nobody talked about the kind of open drama that was Anne and Billy Woodward. What they sucked to was, no, no, everything's fine, everything's perfect. Mm -hmm. And so the grand jury is called. And the
1: grand jury is basically a sham. It's just for show, really. Yeah, I mean, it almost became a social event. I mean, the grand jury occurred a month after the shooting And, I mean, the hallway was full of all the guests from the party. So, you know, and onlookers who wanted to look at the spectacle. And Paul Worth came and, you know, admitted that he had broken into the house that night, which many were very skeptical of. And then Anne came looking as if she had aged 20 years in a month. And gave a very emotional testimony, repeating the same story she had given before. And the jury was out less than half an hour, and it was declared an accident. So it was a done deal. That was it. Right. And to to protect the Woodward name. And Anne gets off, essentially. Yes. Well, Anne gets off with conditions, you know, conditions to Elsie. and, And those conditions are laid out when the will is read. And Anne is able to keep the house in Manhattan and the house in Oyster Bay. But for the rest of her life, she'll be on a monthly stipend. She's not given a large amount of money. And Elsie Woodward wants to take over the, 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 the care of, of the kids. The of the boys. It's yeah. all contingent on that. Right. Had she divorced Billy, Anne would, would have been given an enormous, you know, mil, you know $20 million and she would have had now she's on a monthly stipend. And it's all conditioned on her behaving, you know, in accordance with Elsie's wishes. Right. So she's now really under Elsie's thumb for the rest of her life. Right. And I think Anne although she
0: although she gets off in the in the short term, she doesn't go to prison. She doesn't get labeled a murderer. She she kind of she gets like murdered socially. <laughs> in New York, because
1: she just basically gets shunned by that society. Right, and I think all the people who had eventually embraced her, um, she found really, you know, were very quick to shun her when she killed one of their own. So, Sarah, let's break it down. Do you think that Anne thought she heard a prowler, or do you think that she intentionally murdered Billy?
0: Well, I think for Anne, I think Anne was in the throes of basically kind of drug and alcohol. There was some fear about the prowler. There was a heightened sense of the fact that her image was sort of shattering before her and her her image as as Billy Woodward, as Mrs. Woodward. Do I think that the shooting was accidental? No, I don't. I think that had Billy Woodward divorced her, which is what he had told her he wanted to do, she would have just been relegated. You know, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I think something like that would have been intolerable for for Anne Woodward. I think that she was used to being sort of the the center, the focus. And had Billy married somebody else, that would have just been the end of her existence, basically. The existence that she had created. And, and getting a divorce back then, 1955, was actually a lot more difficult than it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sounds like, to me, that Billy was starting to build a case against her. He had gone to, to her hometown. He had figured out that she had lied to him about her father who knows what else he had found
1: out when he went back there i don't know laura what do you think (laughs) have i well you know you know i always have strong you don't have to agree with me yeah (laughs) i know that um actually agree with you on this case more than more than on most cases um well, I think the night of the murder that she lured him into the bedroom for sex. I definitely think that's so how all she. how about sex for you? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's usually about sex, especially in these murder <laughs> cases. I don't think Billy ever would have gone out into the hallway unarmed if she had called out to him alarmed, or if he had heard a noise, or naked. Yeah, yeah, or or naked. I mean, I think he did sleep in the nude, but I just don't think he ever would have walked out to perhaps a burglar or any, or, you know, her being attacked in that vulnerable state. I don't think most people would, you know. So I that I don't believe. I think she lured him in there for sex and then shot, you know, opened the door and shot him in the hallway. I'm not sure, I don't believe it was premeditated. I think she was enraged that night. I think she was drunk. I think she was extremely um, medicated on prescription drugs. And I think that they had a probably, a, you know, a huge fight in the car on the way back. She had just humiliated herself in front of Wallace Simpson, who was really the most important society figure of the day. And I think her world was just crumbling. Not to mention the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, you know, well, that, too, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. well, that's what, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, Wallace Simpson, I think it was, that was, you know, it was just the most, and I think her world was crumbling. And I think she was just, out of control and enraged, and he just wasn't going to do this to her, and she killed him. I think it's it's the oldest, you know, story there is. It's jealousy and rage and anger and add alcohol and drugs, yep. and you have tragedy. Crime of passion.
0: Twenty years passed with Anne living in misery and seclusion. Although she traveled and had affairs, New York High Society simply turned their elegant backs on Anne. She was never able to recapture the social status she had had as Mrs. Woodward. She was blacklisted and ate her lunch alone at the Colony restaurant. Her fear of being ignored was now her reality.
1: Enter Truman Capote, the writer and society darling of the time. Truman hung out in the same social circles as Anne. Babe Paley and Slim Keith were New York society icons and were known as Truman's Swans. Years before, Anne had offended Truman with a slur about his homosexuality. Truman waited patiently for 20 years and used his words to slay Anne. In 1975, Truman's much anticipated novel Answered Prayers was coming out. Answered Prayers was Truman's thinly veiled tell-all novel about New York's high society.
0: Esquire Magazine was about to publish an excerpt in their November 1975 edition. Anne was sent anonymously an advanced copy. Truman's barely disguised description of Anne Woodward would have been obvious to anyone with a passing knowledge of, quote, the shooting of the century. He publicly called Anne, what was whispered in New York's finest parlors for years. He wrote Anne as a gold digging murderess. Going further, he called her a former prostitute and a bigamist.
1: Anne's response? Anne bathed, did her hair, and made herself up to perfection. She lie down and took a cyanide pill. Her maid found her the next morning with a note. Remember me, Anne Woodward.
0: Upon receiving the news, of Anne's death, Elsie Woodward said, Anne killed my Billy, and now Truman has killed Anne. So that's that. We don't have to worry about that anymore. But Elsie did have to worry about that, right? Because both of the boys that she had strove so hard to protect, they both end up taking their lives.
1: They do. Their own
0: lives, you know?
1: Yes, I mean Elsie only saw one of them take his life, but yeah, she she buried a lot of people. Yeah, a year after Anne killed herself, Jimmy, the youngest son, jumped off the Central Park Hotel nude. Mm. And he had recently been released from a psychiatric hospital. He had, you know, struggled with alcohol and drugs. I mean, just really had struggled his whole life and grown up in a Swiss boarding school, but really had struggled with his father's death, with the questions surrounding it. People who knew him said it was really kind of like an open secret that his mother has killed his father.
0: And And I think for, we had talked about this, I think when you're a kid and you suspect you have a certain truth you know what the underlying truth is but people keep telling you oh no no no, that's not how it happened and i'm sure elsie towed the line with the boys too like no 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 your mother didn't do that and they sort of knew but they didn't know that kind of stuff just drives you crazy i think as
1: a kid Learning, i mean who knows what they knew people who've been in the home and police i mean found it you know hard to believe that the kids slept through the gunshot that night So who knows what the kids heard that night? Right. But they did
0: witness the fights. They did witness... Right. I don't think Anne was a great mother. I don't think... You know, I think she was one of these sort of narcissistic mothers. She was
1: very cold. Right. And then after the murder, she really retreated very much into herself. And they were left to be brought up in boarding schools. And... William Jr. or Woody, as he was called, I think people thought he had escaped the family curse and he married somebody he met in boarding school and he had a child and he ran for city council in New York. And he did a lot of things that showed he was kind of moving past this. But, you know, unfortunately, it wasn't enough. And after a bad divorce and really struggling with depression, he was living basically as a recluse. And in uh, May of 99, uh, he jumped off his building on the Upper East Side. And killed himself. So mm. this story really has such a tragic ending. And They
0: remind me a little bit of the Kennedys, I have to say. There's that very influential, influential, affluent. Just this whole family is just riddled with tragedy.
1: We talk about talk, maybe suggested reading, but Dominic Dunn, who wrote the book, The Two Mrs. Grenvilles, also writes about the Kennedys. And I think there are similarities between the families and between the what you can see as power and privilege. And and if
0: you want an insight into this case, I think Dunn's The Two Mrs. Grenvilles is, really is this case. It it is very, very, very close to, it's fiction, but again, it's very thinly veiled and a very good read.
1: And a very good read.
0: The story of the Woodwards plays out like a Shakespearean tragedy. Anne clawed her way to the top and in her own way redefined it. It was the beginning of celebrity culture. She had come from nothing and found herself at the pinnacle of New York society. In the end, there was nowhere else to go but down. Anne's last words were, remember me. And we do, because she went from fame to infamy. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support us, please hit the subscribe button. Give us five stars and share it with your friends and on social media. We also have a Patreon page under Ivy League Murders. And keep listening, because we're about to play the trailer for Moonshine, Murder, and Mayhem. And just like the title promises, it's fully Southern Gothic true crime. I'm afraid bad things might happen to you if you start talking about stuff like that.
1: You told me a story about five years ago of what happened to slim my great-grandfather he was a taxi driver in warren county area or in the area and uh, he picked up moonshine and he went and picked it up and he took it to the people Hey, Bran, I totally saw where you're working on this new podcast that has to do with moonshining. Give me a call when you can. I've kind of got some history with my family and moonshining. Just give me a call. Bye. Dude never talked about it at all about what happened to his daddy. Bran, are you ready for what you might find? I hope you don't regret this.
0: Join the search on the brand new true crime podcast moonshine murder and mayhem